to the City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. Today we're looking at another nameless person in the Bible that I find unbelievable inspiration. I guess last week was one particular way and by the end of this week we'll have seen and flipped the entire script. So we're going to be looking at 1 Kings chapter 17. If you've downloaded the City Hill app and used the Bible there, you'll be reading from the same translation as me, which is the English Standard Version. Now Elijah said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years, except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here, turn eastward, and hide yourself by the brook of Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook of Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no more rain in the land. Now, I find this story really interesting because as we kind of flow through it, we're going to see there's kind of like these transitional periods in Elijah's, in just this one story. Forget all the stories in Elijah's life. Just in this small, small window of this one story about a drought, he has these transitions. You and I, often what happens is we trust God with something and God delivers us, he provides for us and he nurtures us and he looks after us. But when that provision we've come to rely on starts to dry up, when this, the, the way that he used to engage with us and, and heal us and help us and comfort us and give us peace and refuge dries up, we seem to question God entirely. So often I think we get a mentality where we are more associated and more attached to the provision rather than the provider. And the problem with that mentality is God never, never does one thing to sustain and leaves it there and we all just move on with our lives off that one thing. Never. You'll never find anywhere in the Bible where one person just goes, is in one lane, and is just sustained through their whole life through this one-dimensional provision from God. Never. Because what happens is, you and I are creatures of habit, and we end up clinging to that and becoming comforted by that more than we are with the provider of it. And what happens is, with Elijah, is the brook dries up. The brook dries up. But Elijah is this guy, he's so switched on. He is so kind of close to God that he just does two-pack changes. He just switches it up and he just goes with what God is going to do next. He's not not stuck in that mode. If it were me looking at this story and if it was me being alive, hey bro, you all right? If it had been me and the brook dried up, in that moment, straight away, I would have a lot of questions. I would have a lot of problems. I would have a lot of situations. I would be going like, I would just be standing next to the brook freaking out that it's all dried up. I would be freaking out that everything my life rests upon, and Jody knows this because the amount of times over the last year where I have freaked out over things, and Jody's just like, it's cool, God will just do things another way. But I'm like, ah, I'm like twitching. So when I read this story, I'm not just thinking like, you know what, okay, cool, God's gonna do another thing. That's how you and I read this because when we hold the story and the text in our hands, we're holding it cheaply. We're like, oh, it's the Bible, God's gonna do something. That's how casually we read this. We don't go, Elijah is alive in the middle of nowhere 
with birds bringing him meat and bread, and his only source of water is a river which is drying up before his eyes. Like when you read the Bible, you just read it like, oh, it's the Bible, God's gonna do something, God's gonna intervene here, how exciting, let's see what he does. And that's it. But you place yourself in his shoes, and you're in the middle of nowhere, and your water supply is disappearing, I think your attitude is gonna be freak the heck out. Freak out. You see, you have to be ready to change, and for change to happen in one season, God can provide through one means, then the river dries up for the next. It never means you find rest in it, but you find rest in the person of God, the provider, not the provision. And you know what, maybe at the moment you're in, all of us different places, different scenarios in the story, different areas, but maybe you're in a position where you're watching an area dry up in your life and you're starting to think like, you're starting to freak out. Like in that relationship, this relationship's going a bit dry right now and I am freaking the heck out. I don't see how we're gonna make it through this. Could be in a work situation. That means where you've always been come from that job. It's always been there. It's never looked like anything would change and all of a sudden, the dream isn't what it used to be and it's starting to freak you out because it's starting to dry up around you. You can see how your manager treats you. You can see how your colleagues treat you. People are moving away. Man, I've seen it with guys who've had record contracts. All of a sudden, you know the drop is coming, you're gonna get dropped. And all of a sudden, you're gonna get dropped. Every artist is like, I don't wanna be on a track with you right now, man. It's not good for my career. All of a sudden, you're a leper and everyone can hear the bell everywhere you go because I'm not getting on track with that guy, man. That'll dead my career. Jeez, step back. And maybe that's happening to you in your workplace and you're feeling that. Man, it's such a horrible, horrible thing. But there's hope that we can have because that's never the end. It's always a new beginning. Um, There's no point being mad. Don't waste your energy being mad about it and being upset about it and being too heavily focused and allowing it to stress you out and freak you out. You've got to be ready to have faith and step into your new provision from your provider, keeping it centric and focused on God rather than on just the situation. So the next thing we read in verse 8 of chapter 17 of first kings then the word of the lord came to him arise and go to zarephath which belongs to sidon and dwell there behold i have commanded a widow there to feed you so he got up and he went to zarephath and when he came to the gate of the city behold a widow was gathering sticks and he called her and said bring me a little water in a vessel that i may drink and as she was going to bring it he called to her and said bring me a morsel of bread in your hand and she said As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have, but first make a little cake of it and bring it to me and afterwards make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word that the Lord had spoken by Elijah. Now you and me, when we look at this passage in our culture and our society, I can, I, can, I can see how we would see this story so, so differently. It's kind of an awkward, not just awkward, it's a highly offensive story. So for example, if I just go through like my Facebook feed, like back in the day I used to do loads of talks to different places, and so I picked up all these like little 
people along the way that have just been kind of following my journey from different conferences and things I've spoken at that kind of afterwards like, oh, let me add this guy, da, da, da. And every now and then I see all these Christian kind of comments and out views on life and this, that, and the other. And, and most of them are millennials. They're all kind of young. They're like in their early 20s, most of them. And one of the key themes I keep seeing guys just constantly writing about on Facebook, I have to now just click hide because there's so many Christians just have a... a the only outlet, outlet of their faith is on Facebook to write a status. Like, it's, it's the only means in the modus operandi I've ever getting any message out there. It's got to be a Facebook status. Like, it's, I don't know why, it just is. And so there's these huge discussions, and man, I'm like, hide, 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 hide. And every now and then, one gets me, and I'm like, ah, oh, I've got to comment, because I'm just, I'm a sucker, man. The bait was too good. It was, the worm was, the maggot was too fat and juicy, and I'm like a stupid fish that goes, oh, I've got to get a hold of this. And the thing that I constantly see all the time is it, always, always, always comes down to money. Always, not even kidding you. More comments I see from millennials from different events and stuff that I've done talking about that one thing more than anything else. And so when we look at this story, there's this woman and she's in not just, it's not like, I guess, a recession. It's a, this is a food kind of situation. There's a shortage, there's a drought going on and Elijah has been sent to this outside of Israel, to Sidon, and he is there with this widow. And when I read this story, it makes me uncomfortable. It makes me crazy uncomfortable because I am a millennial. So it makes me uncomfortable. It freaks me out. I don't like it. Because when he says to her about it, he says the whole situation of like how it's going to pan out and that it's going to be okay and you're going to have all this stuff and you're going to have the oil, you're going to have the food, you're going to have the provision. Don't worry about it. But he does the same thing that God does with Moses. I hate this part in the extra story where Moses is at the mountain and he says, yeah, but how do I know this is all going to be okay? How do I know that you're going to do what you said you're going to do? And then God says to Moses, don't worry, Moses, we'll be back here with all the rest of the children of Israel and we'll worship me at this mountain. That's not a comforting sign. It's not a comforting sign because it hinges on it actually being achieved. It's not something up front like, okay, Moses, watch this. Boom, does some incredible sign in front of him and then Moses is like, okay, I'm in. He says to Moses, at the end, we'll be here. He's like, no, no, I want something to encourage me to go in the first place. Not helpful. With Elijah, it's the same thing. He says to this poor widow, guess what? God's going to feed, he's going to provide for you, it's all going to be amazing, but you've got to make me a cake first. You've got to make me a cake first. When I read that, man, I hate it. I just think... Elijah, you're a douche. Elijah, you're an absolute douche. And I shouldn't have said that because I said that in Texas and Zach will be listening and he'll be upset with me all over again. Because I said that in front of his church and he had to stand up and go, no, no. It was kind of awesome. But hey, what the heck, Zach, if you're listening, douche. So, not you. Um, so, Elijah's a bit of a douche. He just says there and then in that moment, you've got to make me the cake first. It's like, Elijah, how insensitive are you? Did you not hear what she just said her plan was? Her plan was, oh, well, I was going to make some food anyway, and then we were going to roll over and die together in each other's arms, you know, one last meal, me and my son. And Elijah's like, cool, great. By the way, don't worry. That's not how it's going to be, but you've got to make me a cake first. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, oh, my gosh. It feels like if this was a dating thing, it would be on catfish. You know what I mean? It's like that kind of messed up kind of, it's all about me, let me get it, let me get it, let me get it. And actually, I think today... One of the biggest tendencies we have, millennials have, and future generations have in the, in the UK and in the Western world is we are so me-centric that this story is unbelievably offensive. Because you see, you and I, we want to keep the last bit of oil. 
because we have our faith in what we have, not in what we don't have. We have faith in this is what is here, this is what's now, and this is what's going to keep me going. But when God tells Elijah to ask for his cake first, we feel it's cruel, we feel it's sick, we feel it's sadistic, but actually God is trying to save them. He's trying to save them. And you know what's crazy about this story is this story causes loads of offense. And we're going to get to that right at the end of this talk because Jesus brings it up in conversation with some of the uh, peeps in his day. But it's so offensive because of what Elijah does. But not only that, it's offensive because there's a famine going on in Israel and he's not in Israel helping his own kind. It's so unbelievably offensive. God is trying to save them. You see, if you're down to the last bit of oil... I want to encourage you today to give it to God. If you're down on your luck, if you're in that position, you've got to give it to him because one of the things that I think so many people that I was talking about on my timeline are missing out on is they're moaning about how the world is and they're moaning about their church is not making a difference in their world. And at the same time, actually, they themselves are the solution to it. I remember um, being at uh, Zach's church while he was talking about the new building they were doing, some of the projects they were doing. And he's, he's just... He's just too smart, man. He's too smart. I'm not that good at marketing, but I remember him saying something like, going like, hey guys, we've got great news. We're doing this new building and um, we've got all the money for it. And everyone's like really excited. And then he goes, it's all in your pockets. And I was like, oh, mate. And I was like, that's a, that's a smart one, isn't it? You know what I mean? That's a, hey, that's a bit of marketing. But he does that again and again. He gets them and everyone's like, gassed. And he's like, you got it. And they're like, oh. It's like, yeah, man, it's so jokes. But that's literally what happens in this scenario. God is literally saying to this widow, don't worry, we've got all the food you're ever going to need throughout the whole drought and you've already got it. But you're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to take a step of faith. I think that I have missed out on countless blessings because I spent more of my energy moaning about the little I have rather acknowledging the little that I have that God wants to use to do more than I ever dreamed or imagined. I honestly believe I've wasted years of my life moaning, looking at what someone else has and what gifting they've got, what talent they've got, what situation they're in. Oh, if I had that. Oh, if I was like this. Oh, if I... And looking around constantly and having that mentality instead of seeing that regardless of anyone else, God loves me and wants to use me and work through me and do something in me for other people around me. And I think you and I miss on so much because our eyes are just closed to it. If you're on a me trip, you'll be too busy moaning about the way that the river's dried up to see how God is actually wanting to turn you into the river. Because that's what happens in Elijah. The river's dried up and he could be sitting next to the river moaning and moaning about it and whining and whining. Elijah just gets up and goes to the next place that he goes to. And what happens in the story is she makes him that cake and her oil never runs out. The flour never runs out. And they have food and sustenance for a period where no one else had food and sustenance. No one else. Everyone else was out there dying, but this woman wasn't. And why? It was because his, his river dried up. Sometimes you and I are so frustrated about a period in our life that isn't going great, but actually God is transitioning you somewhere else and not even just for you, but that you would be a blessing to others. Amen. There we go. There we go. Jeez, that's why the height, the height, the height just had to come out in it, man. It's like, cheese. Oh man, she's going to be later. Oh, no, this is my bill. This is my charge. Like, I gave you one amen. That's uh, this amen. But it's true. So often you and I get in a phase where the river's drying up and we're freaking out and we're moaning about it, but God is just wanting to transition us to a new place where he's going to use us to turn someone else's life around. Like Elijah carries on doing his thing and carrying on doing amazing things throughout his whole life, 
but there is a boy and there is a widow who are alive because the situation he was in before is dried up. So if you're in a position right now where your situation is drying up, I want to encourage you that it's not drying up. You're going to become the river and you're going to be providing for someone else who's in a situation where they're down on their luck and they're experiencing drought, that you're going to be the source of someone else's encouragement. You're going to be the source of someone else's restoration. You're going to be the source of someone else's joy, wholeness, and healing. So often we moan at the wrong place when God is just trying to transition us to be in the river. But then there's the resurrection. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house became ill and his illness was so severe, there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, why have you come against me, O man of God? You've come to bring my sin to remembrance and cause the death of my son. He said to her, give me your son. He went up into his room, he laid him down and he, he laid him on his own bed and he cried out before the Lord. Oh Lord, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I, I stay? by killing her son. And then he stretched himself upon the child and three times he cried out to the Lord, oh my Lord, my God, let this child have life. Come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came into him again and he was revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber in the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you're a man of God, that the word of the Lord is in your mouth and is truth. People are gonna know that the word of the Lord is in you because you're gonna become the stream. You're gonna become the river that's dried up somewhere else. That you're gonna be the source of restoration in their world where they're not just gonna see one good thing, they're gonna see multiple good things because you're gonna position yourself as someone who steps out in faith and trusts what the Lord is telling you to do. Man, like, I, look at, I look at Elijah and I think like, how many times in my life have I spent too much energy moaning about my situation rather than stepping out and transitioning into a new situation where I can be the source of blessing in someone else's life, where someone else can experience that newness and that wonderful experience. You see, in this story, we see multiple changes, multiple problems just arising and arising. First, we've got a drought, then we've got a river drying up, then the widow has nothing, and then the sun dies. And in all of these things, Elijah is just being used to pivot and to be a new source of blessing for everyone around them. And then Jesus talks about this story. At the start of Jesus' ministry, he rocks up at his hometown and he, he does what he always does. He turns up at the synagogue like a good Jewish boy. He gets the scroll out and he starts to read. And the passage he reads from is Isaiah. says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendants, that is the Hebrew phrase for mic drop, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the amazing words, the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me the proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown, but in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, no rain, and a great famine came over all the land. Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to the woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, but none of them was cleansed, but only Nahum, the Syrian, when they heard these things in the, in the synagogue, all were filled with anger and wrath and they rose up, they drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built so that they could throw him off a cliff. By passing through their midst, by passing through their midst, he went away. You see how quickly it is for healing to turn to hatred. 
It says in the passage, they were all there like, come on, do your thing. Do your thing. Do what you're doing in Capernaum. We want to see some of that over here. And then he kind of reminds them and says, well, do you remember like it was about faith? Because actually it's not to do with just like you had, they had this insular view that was all about ethnicity, that the blessing flowed in the genetics. The blessing was all in through, through Abraham's seed. It was down that line. And Jesus just takes this one story. Last week, we looked at the hero being an Egyptian saving the Israelites through Pharaoh's daughter. This week, when we look at this nameless hero, we don't know her name. She's a widow in Zarephath from Sidon. It's flipped the script. It's God reminding the children of Israel that actually this is much bigger than you. This is much bigger than us. And that actually it's not just about being the recipient of God's grace, but being the giver of God's grace. And that actually, when, as soon as he starts to mention the idea that people that are not like them are going to be blessed, they, they're no longer seeking their blessing, their healing, and their solution to their answer. They're ready to kill him. They're ready to kill him. You know what's funny? I feel like today there are so many people who are filled with such hatred in their hearts that they cannot bear the idea of someone else doing well. And when they see someone else doing well, they're angry at God. Look at them, God. Look at how blessed they are and look at the misery that I'm stuck in. And then we wonder. We wonder why we're not inheriting the blessing. Because the widow, her attitude when Elijah pressed her wasn't like, oh, well, other people are better off. She trusted God and she went and she made a cake for him that she couldn't afford to make. A cake that would mean her and her son would die sooner. And she risked so much trusting God and God came through for her. And you and I, all we can do is look at someone else being better off and just moaning about it. And we are so far from God's heart. I know I am. You guys may come here this morning rocked up perfectly because you guys are on point. And that's cool if you're on fleek with God like that. That's great. But today I want us to look at a widow who had constantly been beat down all throughout her life and how God repositioned Elijah through the challenges of life and the suffering. I believe that God wants to reposition you and me through our situations and our challenges that we could be a stream and a source of life for others around us. I'm going to pray for us today. Father, I thank you for this widow. I thank you for her story. I thank you, Lord, and I pray that we would be people that are more attached and reliant upon you than on the provision. May we seek you, the provider, and love you and worship you. Father, may we be people that want to see blessings inherited on those around us, through us, and without us. May we be people who are filled with joy when we hear of how well others are doing. May we not be like those people who were ready to kill their own Messiah just because he flagged up that God did stuff with other people that excluded was outside of their their understanding of who God is. Father, there are those that are outside our understanding of who you want us to love. And you've made it so clear that we're to love even people we deem as our enemies in our mindset, that we are to love those outside and who are not like us. I pray that you would empower us this week to help us be people who become the stream of the river, that become a blessing to someone else around us because we won't have the me mentality, but we will transition to a mentality that sees those around us as being people you so passionately love and die for. In Jesus' name, amen. So next week, we continue our series, uh, Nameless. We've got some really, really um, cool stuff. Once again, big up, Justina. Um, for all that you've done. Um, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. We 
really hope you enjoyed today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. Yeah.